Good morning, Calvary. We're glad for you to join us today, whether you're joining us live in this room or you're at home taking uh, the pandemic a little more cautious because of health reasons, or whether you're in Texas watching this later, hi mom, or on the East Coast because you're visiting someone or live there. We're glad that you have joined us today as we wrap up our series. We're talking about the idea of what it looks like to be wise. This has been a very intentional series that we've been trying to go through because we recognize that this time of year, our church doesn't have a ton of visitors. And so if you're a visitor, we're really glad you're here. But our, our church traditionally grows because of the weather and the climate around here, right after Easter, right after Vacation Bible School, and as the school year starts. So we're trying to intentionally challenge our people to grow in wisdom thus developing leadership strategy, learning how to feed themselves so that we can be engaged in growing so that when new people come, we can welcome them and help them along their journey. Does that make sense? So we're going through this series on wisdom, and we've been asking you to read the Proverbs that corresponds with each given day. Today is Proverbs 30, so we're going to be preaching out of Proverbs 30 today. But in getting through this whole passage, let me just kind of catch you up in case you are new or in case you haven't been around. We've been doing this compare and contrast for most of the series and using the idea of there's a wise and an unwise. So there were two words. There were two ways. Once there's a wise and an unwise, there's two ways, a wise and a foolish path. And once we know there's a wise and a foolish path, there's two types of people, those who get on the wise path and those who get on the foolish path. That just because you know there's a wise path doesn't mean that you're going to be on it. You might go on the foolish path. Are you seeking God and trusting Him with that? And the way that we try to develop that is we take the two steps we talked about last week to make sure that we're on the wise path, which is we seek wise people, allowing them to speak into our life, and then we place our mind on the things of God. So we asked you last week to ask yourself when it comes to situations in life, don't just look at this week and go, is it right or wrong? We asked you to... to, to quote Andy Stanley, to ask the following question, what is the wise thing to do? Is it wise for me to get up in the morning, or do I need a little more sleep? Some of you are like, yes. Um, is, is it wise to, to go to work today? Yes. You know, those kind of questions, okay? And so as we're chasing after this, what we're trying to do is to develop in us a desire to stay on the wise path, because we believe this is where the beauty of God is found. So in reading Proverbs chapter 30 today, you might notice that the, the author changes. Most of the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. But today, we find that the words of Agar, who is talking about the idea of, I've been listening to the wise words of Solomon. I've been chasing after wisdom. I want to stay on the right path. And he as he's studying this, like we've been doing, imagine that he's doing exactly what we're doing, studying the Proverbs, studying the wisdom, growing in this. He comes to the conclusion in verse uh, 5 of chapter 30, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. To believe that God is the right way, the reason that we want to stay on the wise path is because he is the essence of everything. He is the core of what we should be about. He isn't something that we just do on Sundays. He is in all, through all. And when we follow him, when we make him all of us, this is where we grow and find peace and hope. 
He says, every word of God is pure. So God, help me to stay there. And so here's his prayer, and it leads us to today's topic, which is two requests. The two requests serve as a guard to keep him from wandering away from wisdom and in turn the presence of God. So this is our request today. We pick up in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. And I encourage you, don't just wait for me to finish reading these, for me to tell you what they say. Let the word of the Lord speak to you as I read these words, which are his words in Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, he's writing and asking of God. Don't deny them before I die, so that I might not be distracted, is what he's saying. I I don't want to be distracted from you. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me, and give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Two things I ask for you, God. The only two things I ask, as I'm seeking after wisdom, as I'm trying to stay on the path, two things I ask for you is help me not to get distracted from these two things. What are they? Found in verse 8. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me, is the first one. First request. Keep falsehood and and deceitful words far from me. Now, the idea of falsehood and deceitful words implies two different types of words there. That's, they're not just synonyms, okay? The idea of deceitful words implies any words that may lead to sin. Lying, gossip, slander, etc. In other words, if your six-year-old knows that they are words that we shouldn't be saying, we probably—these are deceitful words, Right? They intuitively know this. It's like, we shouldn't be talking like that, mommy, right? You know, those kind of things. Those are deceitful words. And if they don't know that, it probably means the parents don't know that, and that's a whole other problem, okay? But the idea of what we're trying to say is, God, not only help me not to say those words, but keep the people who are saying those words out of my life. Now, what does that look like for us as followers of Jesus? I want to explain something called the 31260 rule real quick to you. The 31260 rule implies the people that you will have an influence in. The max number that you are capable of having an influence. Strangely enough, it kind of mirrors what Jesus did. Okay? The three are the three people the closest to your life. that They're going to know just about everything about you. They're your inner, inner circle. Okay? The 60 represents the amount of people that you have influence over. That's about the max number of people that you can have influence over in your life. Beyond that, you're just not going to know them at such a level. So if you have more than 60 people, you probably don't have the influence that you think you do. That's kind of an outer circle. So we have the inner, inner circle, which is three, and an outer circle, which is 60. The 12 is what I'm calling the inner circle. Jesus had an inner circle. They were called the 12 disciples. And these 12 people are the type of people that you could call them to in the morning. Or they could call you. And you might get mad at them at first, but then you realize after you kind of wake up for a second that there's a reason they called you. Maybe they don't live here. Maybe it's it's a mom. Maybe it's, it's someone who lives in Maryland. Maybe it's someone who lives in Bangladesh. I don't know. But they're the kind of people you're not offended because you've given them access to your life. And you want to have access to their life. You know their family's names. You know their family's history. And you may not have 12, but that's about the max number that you can sustain in order to have intimate connection with them. Does that make sense? This is your inner circle. 
As followers of Jesus, I hope you have some people in your 60 who are not following Jesus. Why? Because I'm hoping you're influencing them to Jesus. But what he's saying here is in the group of around 12 people, I hope that your words with these 12 are designed to not sin, designed to point each other to Christ, and you're going to have the deeper conversations it takes to walk with God. How do I know that? It's not just deceitful words. He uses the word empty words as well. God, in my inner circle, keep me from deceitful words. Help our, my inner circle not to be full of gossips. Amen. God, help my inner circle not to be full of lying. Amen. But God, help my, empty, my inner circle not to be full of empty words. So what do we mean by empty words there? Empty words implies any words that are wasted or unhelpful. Ideas, some of these are shallow, thoughtless, uncaring, busy. Busy words, right? How are you? I'm busy, right? How are you? Fine. Are you really? God, help in my inner circle not to, to help me to avoid these, these ideas. Barren, not producing anything. Come back to that one a second. Speculation, assumptions, maybe even like Twitter. Empty words, right? And as I'm thinking about this, what it, what it really looks like is, okay, is it okay to talk about basketball? Yes. I really hope and am excited that the Boilers are going to beat Ohio State today. Let's just say it. Let's say it. It's not a prophecy, people. It's hope, okay? And it's okay to talk about Purdue basketball, right? Even with your inner circle, even with strangers. Woohoo! Boiler up. Hammer down, all right? And all of this stuff, that's okay. It's okay to talk about fashion or crafts. I don't know. Go whatever you want to go with that direction. It's okay to do those things. But here's the idea. In your inner circle, the centrality of your relationship should not be founded first and foremost in your love for Purdue basketball. The centrality of those inner circle relationships should not be found first and foremost in that you're a Maxinista, right? Is that what it is, TJ Max? If I'm, I'm trying here, people. Give me a little, <laughs> give me a little leeway. The, the balance of your inner circle should not be, he's a car guy like me. The balance of your inner circle should be words and conversations that allow you to follow Christ. So if you have an inner circle, in other words, these are people that you have the ability to speak influence into, and they have the ability to speak influence into your life. If you and I are not having the God gospel-centered good news, gospel means good news of Jesus conversations with them, those are empty words. In other words, God, may my words with my people who are closest to me not always be about fruitless, unbarren stuff. May we challenge each other. So what does that look like? Well, odds are, if you live in a house, unless you're a college student who got randomly assigned with a group of people you don't like, the people who live in your house are in your inner circle. Do you ever challenge each other to grow in God? What do you do with your dinner time? Do you occasionally have the God conversation and not just sitting around the table going, well, how was your day? Well, what can we learn about God from this? Do we do devotions together? Do we, do we intentionally point? We around here believe that parents should be the primary disciples of their kids, not the church. 
That sounds contrary. No, that's actually biblical. The church is to aid you in being the primary disciples of your church children. Does that make sense? So are you having those, or are your words just empty? In your friendships, are you challenging each other? Are you just trying to find community? Are you, are, are you longing? Are we doing what it takes to grow each other? And if not, what it says is the influence that these people have in our life, because here's 12 people, right? It's just a number, but here's 12 people who are influencing the way I think and the behave. And if I'm not having the deeper conversations with them about God, then the chances are God's not the primary focus of my life, and I might not be on the wise path. And the proverb here, Agar is saying, God, keep me from the relationships that don't help me grow closer to you. At least at that level. Because we could be straying. In Ephesians 5, 6-10, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Same kind of concept there. The empty words. The foolish path. For God's wrath is coming on to the disobedient of these things, the people on the foolish path. Therefore, do not become partners with, once again, the people on the foolish path. For you once, you were once darkness on the foolish path. You hear a theme here? But now you are light in the Lord on the wise path. So walk as children of the Lord, of the light on the wise path. For the fruit, the fruit is the definition of the opposite of being barren, right? The fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Wisdom. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. So if you have a circle that's not growing you closer to God, you're challenged because you care for them, not because you're judging them, because you want them to be on the wise path, because you want to be on the wise path, is to say, hey, I love you. This is not good how you're talking about your spouse. Hey, I love you. This is not wise in how you're navigating your life. I love you. Let's stop gossiping and point people to Christ. Let's be about Jesus. That's the key. And I don't know about you, but that can be a struggle. And if we aren't having those conversations, then chances are we've surrounded ourselves with people that we probably aren't in our inner circle supposed to be surrounded with, or <laughs> we don't have the desire in our own heart. So this is the, a moment I'll be a little vulnerable real quick. This last week, as I was preparing this, I'm like, oh, I'm doing pretty good at this one. <laughs> Never think that. Because <laughs> then I started thinking, Daniel, how much time do you spend on Twitter reading recruiting news? Well, but God, I follow three teams. Daniel, how much time do you read on Facebook of people just sharing shallow, empty words? How much time do you spend watching YouTube or TV with just unbarren, fruitless words? How much time do you spend in my word, my books, my sermons, which are on YouTube? And I started realizing, oh, God, keep me from those. The whole point of that is to grow in our faith and our relationship with God. And 
as I was thinking about it, this is really what the community should be about. Proverbs 27, 17, which is my favorite verse in Proverbs, says, iron sharpens iron, and so one person sharpens another. And this is how we can get off the path, okay? This is how we can go astray really quickly. Because when I was in college, I went to Howard Payne University, home of the Mighty Fighting Yellow Jackets. Wait for it. Sting them. And as I was there, Brownwood was in the middle of a town. It was a town in the middle of Texas that we called Deadwood because there was nothing to do there. In fact, our date restaurant was in Abilene, which is an hour and a half away at a Chili's. And so you had to really like a girl to take her an hour and a half in a car, an hour and a half back. Because if it went south, that was awkward, okay? And so... Brownwood, there wasn't much to do in that time, and so we, 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 we took intramurals serious, y'all, because we didn't even have, like, I mean, we had a football team, but intramurals was our heart, you know what I'm saying? And so we played intramurals. When you played intramurals, you played the same team, all sports, all year long. And I was on a team called, wait for it, Ironman, based off Proverbs 27, 17. And y'all, we were a Christian school, so we did this cheesy, we'd play football, and when you snap the ball, you're supposed to go down and say, huh, huh. no, we didn't do that. Our quarterback instead would get up there and go, it's iron, sharp as iron, so one man sharpens another. And the whole team would yell, iron man, and the ball would snap. Two things. If you know anything about football, that gave the defense a great advantage, okay? <laughs> Second thing. We said that because we wanted to be that, all the while we'd go back to the huddle and yell at each other for our incompetence in playing the sport. <laughs> you big doofus, we said run a fly. I was running a fly this it's not a fly. Some of you don't know football, and I'm like, okay, but this is what we did, right? Because the idea of being an Ironman was easier than actually doing it. The idea of saying and chasing after the words of God and sharpening and being, it's easier than doing it when you get that juicy gossip. When that person wrongs you and you just want to throw them under the bus. When you have time to kill and it's easier just to scroll and turn off your brain than to pursue the things of God. Watch a good sports game. Don't make your life bound to emptiness. Keep me from empty words. The second one says this. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. There's two implications of this. First, having enough but not too much has an individual effect. And if you don't have enough money, it can be hard to focus on God. God, help me to have enough money. And if I have too much money, it can be hard to focus on God. Let me, let me give you some research, and I'll be the first to tell you there's research to this to the death, and you can find numbers from this side to this side. So I'm going with what I trust the most. A Purdue University study in 2018 <laughs> came up with the following data that said if you have $500 in a savings account then you are 15% more likely to be happy why? because you're not always worried about can we make it to the next paycheck so that God help me not to have to worry about where my next meal is coming the other side of that do you realize that those making more as a couple, as a household more than $105,000 a year in 2018 saw a decreased measure of happiness for every dollar over that amount. Why? Because the more you have, the less you need God. And the more you have, the more you can live for yourself because then all of a sudden you can do the fun things. Oh, look, we got to buy a lake home. And we're going to be there 17 of the next 20 weekends. Sorry, church. 
Oh, look, we get to put our kids in all these sports activities. <laughs> oh, we don't have time to disciple. And here's the real problem, right? The real problem is we know that we're still doing well. But there's a larger implication to this because having enough but not too much money has implications on our society at large. And this is a lot of times how we as the church, we recognize this when we go to Haiti. The Haitians recognize this, right? We, we want to help them. We, we recognize this when we go to the Appalachian Mountains and help the poverty Eastern Kentucky people. When we see extreme poverty, we want to help them because we know it's hard to follow God when, when that happens. And having not enough money can have huge implications. But here's the problem with the way we've, we've used this. This is according to Forbes. 75% of our globe is currently experiencing financial stress due to poverty. 75% percent according to Forbes of our globe is currently experiencing financial stress to poverty and this isn't poverty because you can't afford to have your kids play more than one sport this is next meal we'll say that doesn't seem right well that's because in the United States same study the poverty rate is at 13.4 percent there's too many different numbers in our society in our, about our county, so I didn't go there. But I dare say it's not even 13.4%. But in our state, Indiana's right in the middle. Yay, we're average. 13.4%, same as the United States poverty rate. And the way that we view poverty is, they have more money than me, I'm poor. I have more money than them, I'm rich. Oh God, I'm really struggling. We had to go to Chili's instead of Ruth Chris. God, I, I'm really feeling financial stress right now. We, our six-bedroom house with the basement had a leak. And uh, it's going to sap about half of our savings to fix the leak. That's not poverty. And what he's really trying to get us to see is, okay, where are you putting your hope? I'm going to give you a theological opinion. I always try to give you a very, very distinct difference between a theological, thus saith the Lord, and Daniel Barry's theological opinion. I believe this, or I wouldn't say it, but you can argue with it. Are we good with this? My theological opinion says this. I think God does grant some people wealth who are followers of Jesus because they know how to use it well. And some of you are like, where do I sign up for that? And I would go, yeah, he knows you can't. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking in the mirror. Right? And I think we go, oh, well, I'd like to try. And God's going, no, I love you too much. That's not going to happen. And I think if we could just stop chasing after the pursuit, because what is the pursuit of money? The pursuit of money is pursuit of control. I can retire earlier and let's have the man tell me what to do. I can look and say, I know where my food's coming from. I can live like I want. I can have the luxuries I want. Maybe life shouldn't be focused on you if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's actually unwise. Maybe you're going to find that when you live for yourself, you're selfish, arrogant, incompetent and don't actually show people that you are liked maybe just maybe god knows what's best 
words of Agar says, God, help me not to be that guy. Give me just what I need. That I might live for you. Now these two requests are an earnest attempt to stay on the wise path. And at first glance, they look like, what do they have in common, right? Do they, do, how do they go? To, are they just like randomness? So he says, God, uh, help me to have just enough so I don't defame you and don't rob from you. But God, also give me wise people around me and help my words to be wise, right? Keep me from the empty, shallow words. Well, they actually do tie together because there's a wordplay here that only happens in Hebrew. It doesn't tra- wordplays don't translate into English really well. And Proverbs was written in Hebrew. And the idea of the wordplay here is that the word falsehood actually comes from the Hebrew word shah. I can't say Hebrew well, but it's fun to try. So if you know how to say that better, that's great. I don't need to hear it, okay? In this sense, empty words, I'm just saying, okay, but the empty words, um, what he's talking about is shah is emptiness, which implies an empty stomach. The empty words implies an empty stomach. And then God helped me to have enough food so I don't have an empty stomach. And what he's really doing is, God, may I be full of you. They might know that person in their life. Please don't elbow or put. Well, it was so bad in the last service. Everybody's like, oh, that's this brood. Okay. I see all. Okay. And anybody have that person in your life that's constantly hangry? Or occasionally, you're still doing it. It's occasionally hangry, right? It's like, oh, quick. Give mama Snickers, right? We, we, it's, she's hungry! Or, or, or get, Johnny needs, a, Johnny needs a bite of a Twix or a Kit Kat or a, give him an apple or something. We'll go healthy. Give him an apple, you know. They're hangry. And what we mean by that is there's something in their stomach that's grumbling at that point, and they're in a foul mood. Why? Because their stomach is empty. What the author of this passage is relating to is may our stomach Stomach, long for the presence of God, like the hangry person hungers for God. Well, you're constantly gossiping. You're spiritually hangry. You're constantly uncontent. You're spiritually hangry. You're constantly longing. It's because the the void in your heart is crying out for peace. It's crying out for the presence of God. And we're trying to satisfy it with cookies when God says, there's so much better for me than that stuff. Come into my presence. You will not find satisfaction. The hangry of spiritual longing that you and I were made for will not be satisfied by anything other than a longing for me. You want to stay on the wise path? You have to long for it. As the hangry person longs for the Snickers. How we do that? Our next series is going to be called The Process. We're going to continue to help you understand how, as we say, it's the wise person tries to stay on the path. The process is learning how to be a disciple and to take the wisdom you learn and to grow in that. Okay? Then after that, we're going to go into a time of Lent, which we don't always practice. I'm going to let Drew explain that a little bit longer uh, in a few weeks. But the practice of Lent, as we're explaining it, is the idea of sacrificing something in our life for 40 days to remind us of the time leading up into Easter, of the process of what Jesus went through, the lamenting of what he went through, and the celebration of his resurrection. 
That's where we're going. But for today, we're going to take a baby step in that direction. Because my real prayer for you is that you have this same desire, God, keep the empty words from me. And God, may I be full of you. Help me not to have too much or too little. May you be what I'm about. To remind us of that today, I'm going to try to make us all a little hangry. Here's our daily training. I want to challenge you to fast from one meal this week. One meal, reminding you to hunger for him. Now, a few things about this. There's some of you in this room who sit there and go, okay, I'll do that. And you'll like, check, it won't mean much to you. Right? Really, really try to dive into this. And understand that this is designed to make the pit of my stomach long for the wise path, to long for the presence of God. Second, some of you have already decided, not going to do it. You can't make me. Whoop, whoop. And I would say, okay, I can't. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but my job, not as a pastor, but as a fellow follower of Jesus, is to not give you empty words, but to challenge us to be uncomfortable with where we are so that we might be drawn closer into the presence of God. I would love for there to be 100% participation unless there's a medical reason as to why. So can you right now resolve in your heart to pick one meal? Third, caution. College students, the fourth meal of the day does not count. And if you already skipped breakfast, doesn't count. <laughs> I wish y'all could hear that from my perspective. That was awesome. <laughs> so here's what I would challenge you. The meal I love the most is lunch. Daniel doesn't know why he loves lunch the most. He just does. I know it's great. But long for, give that up. One meal. And in that process, pray those prayers. Lord, help me not to have too much or too little. And keep my empty words, simple words off me. Help me in my inner circle to challenge each other to grow closer to you. This is the pursuit of the godly wisdom that will keep us on the right path, which will keep us on his presence, will make us more disciples, that will make us better evangelists, that will make us better fathers, that will make us better mothers, that will make us better single people, that will make us better co-workers, that will make us better human beings. Because our identity will be in Christ. That's the challenge. God, we ask that you help us to draw closer to your presence and your peace today. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts, in our midst. God, we are reminded that this is not just an Old Testament story, that Jesus came and showed us through this example, even through the gifts of the widow's might, the parable of the rich young ruler. God, that you are drawing us and challenging us to draw into you because you gave your life on the cross. And out of that empty tomb, we now have hope. We will live forever because you are not in that grave. You are alive and your presence can be known and tangible. So God, we celebrate, not because of who we are, but because you live.